Hello, Pyromaniacs! Welcome to the Pyro Pulse Podcast. I am the Heartbeat, and this is episode six. We will be going over our wide receiver tiers. Right now, it is uh, Sunday, August 13th, and I just tweeted out a couple minutes ago. I asked you to let me know who you wanted me to deep dive in on these wide receiver tiers. Before we get started, I'd like to uh, give a shout out to our Pyro Heavy podcast. They recently put out an episode where they went over the tight ends. It's a great episode. I'm only about halfway through, but I plan to uh, give the second half a listen while I go to the gym after this. Uh, It's about 3 p.m. on this Sunday, and so we didn't have any very big news come in, but these uh, preseason week one games are finishing up. Uh, in the future, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys know that we have a, a little mini-series coming up where I'll be get, shooting out some, uh, some quick, maybe about 20-minute podcasts on how to prepare for your draft and what are uh, this, this first episode, which should be coming out shortly, is what are my favorite draft resources. So I'm just going to tell you where I like to do mock drafts, where I like to generate my data from, and whose who's opinions that you can get on Twitter or on their websites, do I really trust and do I really sit with, and whose do I kind of fade away from. But that's, that's going to be the ne- next episode. In this episode, it's all about wide receivers. So why don't you guys take a quick listen to this advertisement, and then we'll get started with the show. All right, all right, all right. And what you heard on the way in was a little remix that I got off of YouTube by DJ Steve Porter called Get Your Popcorn Ready, which featured uh, the two Terrell Owens and Chad Otrocinco Johnson from their Cincinnati Bengal days. And with that said, we're going to start off tier number one with four players with a Bengal. AJ Green is my number one wide receiver this year. Number two, 
is going to be Antonio Bryant. Number three is Odell Beckham Jr. And number four is Julio Jones. So A.J. Green is really the only one that you might not typically see in there. I have A.J. Green so high because last season he finished with the fourth most fantasy points per game despite only playing nine games. And in the offseason, the Bengals added John Ross and a top-notch talent at running back in Joe Mixon. These two players should really open up the middle of the field for A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert, but we're focusing on A.J. Green right now. He's my number one, quarter, number one wide receiver. He'd probably be my number one quarterback, too. Number two is Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown has consistently been the best wide receiver over the last three years. What he's done, we just haven't seen before in the NFL. Since 2014, A.B. leads the league in yards after the catch with 1,634. That's in three years. Over the past three years, he's only had four games with less than 50 yards and no touchdowns. Antonio Brown is the symbol of consistency at the wide receiver position. And I don't see any signs of him slowing down going into his age 30 season. Number three is Odell Beckham Jr. And a little fun fact, uh, over the summer, I actually ran into Odell Beckham Jr. at uh, LAX, the airport in L.A. Uh, He seemed to be on his way out, and this is when he was in the news for skipping out on the Giants minicamp. Surprisingly... Odell was a really, really nice person, which uh, you might not get from his on-field antics, but he was a really d- nice and down-to-earth guy. He actually moved up in my rankings from that. But uh, looking deeper into him, Beckham ranks in the top 10 in practically every receiving category. He even has more room for upside, as he saw the second-highest red zone target share at 35.4%. However, he only converted 10 catches on such plays, so if The addition of Brandon Marshall makes Odell more efficient in the red zone. His stock could be even higher than his historic first three years in the NFL. Finally, Julio Jones. There's not much to say about him except what Richard Sherman said in the Players' Tribune. There are no weaknesses in his game. He's already in a high-octane offense and one of the best receivers, if not the best receiver talent-wise, so let's just leave it at that. Julio Jones is great. Moving into tier number two, this tier is also composed of four players, and it started off by Jordy Nelson, number six is Mike Evans, number seven is Doug Baldwin, and number eight is T.Y. Hilton. Jordy Nelson at number five. What's scary is that Jordy did not feel fully healthy until about week 10 of last season, and he still finished in most formats as the number one wide receiver. But if you extrapolate from week 10 on, he would have been in line for 121 catches for over 1,550 yards and 16 touchdowns. Of wide receivers who were targeted over 100 times last season, no player had a higher success rate than Jordy. And he also showed quite the affinity to dominating shorter cornerbacks. Standing at 6 foot 3 inches, Jordy averaged 2.47 points per game in a PPR format against cornerbacks who were 5'11 or shorter. This was almost half a point higher than when he went up against cornerbacks over 6 feet tall. Moving on to Mike Evans, who you probably have been seeing featured on Hard Knocks this offseason. Despite having the career year, Jameis Winston only registered a passer rating of 86.4 when he targeted Evans. 
there were 59 wide receivers that registered a better figure than when targeting Evans. Unlike Nuke, Evans' quarterback should be improving from the last season. I do believe he could be in line for a, pro- or a regression like Nuke Hopkins did last year, but the skill set of Jameis should keep his floor a little bit higher, and I do like Mike Evans going into this year. Number seven is Doug Baldwin, and I have Baldwin a little bit higher than most people, but I believe it, his ranking reflects his consistency. After another 90-catch season, we can say that Doug Baldwin is a top-end wide receiver after second-guessing his extremely hot finish to the 2015 season. With some regression accounted for in Baldwin's historically high efficiency, he still has a wide receiver one outlook. The red flag for Baldwin, however, is that the Seahawks are throwing 150 more times than they did with Marshawn Lynch as their starting running back. Bringing in Eddie Lacy and committing to the running game could see a significant decrease in wide receiver targets, but Baldwin's efficiency should keep him as a top-notch option, so I like him going into 2017. And let's finish up this tier with T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. led the league in yards and was second in air yards last season, and he did so on a season where Andrew Luck was crippled with a shoulder problem all year long. Only two wide receivers earned more yards on deep passes than Hilton with his 528. Although there are question marks whether Andrew Luck will be healthy going into this season, I think he should be for a larger portion of the season. And T.Y. is a go on all accounts. He's my number eight wide receiver. All right, now before we get into my tier three, I want to give a quick plug to ESPN. We had uh, Mike Clay on for an interview, and that uh, I will be putting that on a podcast shortly once we finish up these tiers. But on Monday, which is tomorrow when this will be released, ESPN is doing a 28-hour marathon just about fantasy sports, or fantasy football, specifically fantasy football. And Mike Clay will be featured on this. He won't be on the entire thing, but uh, just like last year, it will be featuring Matthew Berry and Adam Schefter. I think this is going to be a great thing to check out before your draft. And I just want to throw Mike Clay some love and give him a thank you for coming on the podcast. You'll, you should see that episode with Mike Clay in probably the next two to three days. Moving on to tier number three. This one's also made up of four players. Seems to be a trend. Uh, number nine is Demarius Thomas. Number 10, Amari Cooper. Number 11, Michael Thomas. And number 12, DeAndre Hopkins. Demarius Thomas, standing at six foot three, has dominated short cornerbacks for 2.14 points per game. Oh, sorry, 2.4 points per target in a PPR setting when given that four inch advantage. This compares to only 1.8 PPR points per target against the taller cornerbacks. Demarius is a high floor player this season, and he's coming in at a value. I like Demarius to return to that wide receiver one output, given his hip being healthy for this upcoming season. Amari Cooper is my number 10, and he had the lowest percentage of successful plays among wide receivers targeted over 100 times. So this is the opposite of Jordy Nelson. 
the Oakland Raiders will face the lowest number of bottom five defenses this season with only one. There are, or there were, 49 players who were targeted on a higher ratio to routes run, and Cooper was only targeted 14% of the time in the red zone. Although he showed up to camp looking a little more buff, I think this problem is going to be prevalent for his whole career. I just don't think he's a red zone player, and for that he has a limited upside in fantasy, so he's down at 10, and I can see myself bringing him down a couple more spots in the near future. Number 11, Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas had the best wide receiver season as a rookie since Randy Moss. Thomas should be in line for an increase in targets as the Saints sent away their leading wide receiver, Brandon Cooks, and his 117 targets. And what's amazing about Michael Thomas is that he was the most efficient and most productive wide receiver on the curl route last year. The curl route is one which usually requires a couple years of rapport with your quarterback, but this first-year wide receiver came in, and he led the league with 27 catches and 257 yards just on that route. I think he should be in line for a better season, but let's keep expectations down a little as I don't think Michael Thomas is quite the talent of the Odell Beckham. And number 12, DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins last year, even though having a somewhat disappointing year, was top six in all production categories other than his abysmal yards after catch. With a combination of Tom Savage and new rookie Deshaun Watson, Hopkins should be able to see that production he did in 2015 as long as he continues to be a top seven targeted wide receiver in the league. And just a quick note, I did see some of the film from that week one preseason game, and it looks already like Tom Watson, Watson, or sorry, Tom Savage, I just mixed them together. Tom Savage should be the week one starter, but Deshaun Watson did show some ability with his legs that could win him the battle. Both of them are obviously an upgrade over last year's Brock Osweiler. Moving on to tier number four. My tier four starts off with Sammy Watkins, and I'm just going to I'm gonna open with this, that I'm going to be lowering him even more. I lowered him from number eight to number 13 after the trade to L.A., and I'm, go- I'm going to lower him a little more, so I'm going to say him at the end of this tier, which brings Martavis Bryant up to number 13. Bryant has the 18th most fantasy points in his first 21 games since the NFL merger. That's 1970 for your reference. Physically, Bryant is not from this world, and he finds himself in the top 95th percentile in speed score, the top 94th percentile in catch radius, and despite playing alongside the best wide receiver in the NFL in Antonio Brown, Martavis was still targeted on 19.1% of his snaps. That's good for fourth in the league. Martavis should have a huge year. Number 14 now is Jarvis Landry. Since JGI took over, Landry saw his targets drop by about two per game, and I know you guys are all aware of that split. But I want to offer you something interesting. If you look at all of the games the Dolphins played against winning teams last year, Landry still averaged 10.1 targets. 
Adam Gase still went to him against tough competition, and that will continue. That's why I have Jarvis Landry at number 14, and he seems to be a high-floor player. The one caveat I'll put in there is if Devontae Parker makes his breakout this season, that will conversely impact Jarvis Landry. So he will be lower down. So I think he has a high floor at number 14, but beware of that Devontae Parker breakout. Number 15 is Michael Crabtree. Carr heavily targeted Crabtree within the 15 yards. Within 15 yards of the end zone, sorry. He had 24 targets across the season, and Crabtree was able to convert seven of them into touchdowns. In fact, he scored eight touchdowns, and the only one he scored outside of the red zone was at 21 yards. Carr was just paid, and he's going to continue to target Michael Crabtree when it matters. And that brings us to number 16, which is Terrell Pryor. Pryor was the number one overall recruit out of high school, and it's been a long time awaited, but he's finally climbed back to prominence. At about six foot four and 233 pounds, I'm going to give you guys a little heads up. It looks like my kitten's about to jump on the desk. Um, so at 6'4", 233 pounds, Pryor is a physical beast and tested in the 99th percentile for its speed score. His rare size-speed combination showed in his first season as a wide receiver, as he posted the ninth-best contested catch rate at 81.8%. Now in Washington, although he might see slightly less targets, he should be able to do more with those targets. I like Pryor as my 16th overall wide receiver. And now let's start with Sammy Watkins falling in at 17th, down, down from 13th. I, I see him falling a little more, but let's stick him in here for now. Sammy's a killer on the go route, and he amassed 30% of his fantasy points on go routes from 2014 to 2016. I see this as, before I saw this as a positive, I think it's a negative now, seeing as Jared Goff just does not have that big arm. And if he does, he did not show it in his rookie season. I, I went on Twitter to bring up some points that, uh, that Sammy now in L.A., what he should be looking at. And I noticed that their deep threat from last year, Kenny Britt, only had one game once Jared Goff started starting in week 11 of over 80 yards. In L.A. with the Rams, I think Sammy Watkins has a really, really limited upside as he won't really be used on, in that deep on those deep routes as he did in Buffalo, as Tyrod Taylor, although not a great passer, is one of the better deep ball throwers in the league. I'm going to move Sammy down, but we'll stick him at 17 for now. I'm not very high on Sammy's outlook this year. That brings us to tier number five. Tier number five is headlined by Keenan Allen. And as I went on Twitter a little bit earlier, I said, who do you guys want me to talk about in depth? P.K. Ripper came back to me and said, Des Bryant. Des Bryant is my number 19, so I'll definitely deep dive in on him. Number 20, I have Larry Fitzgerald. At 21, I have Allen Robinson. 22 is Golden Tate. Number 23 is Pierre Garçon. And rounding out this tier 5 and of your uh, potential fantasy starters in the top 24 is Tyreek Hill. Looping back over to number 18 with Keenan Allen. With Allen, the Chargers ran about 100 more passing plays than they did in 2015. In his eight games, 
Allen did not miss an offensive snap. And he put together the third best catch rate of 75% and the fourth highest red zone catch rate at 85.7%. He is an ultra-efficient receiver, and despite all those other options in San Diego, Allen should still see his. Now let's look at Des Bryant. With a a quick shout-out to P.K. Ripper. Uh, Des will start this season matched up against the following cornerbacks. Janoris Jenkins, week one. Week two, Akib Tlaib. Week three, Patrick Peterson. And week four, Trumaine Johnson. All four of these cornerbacks were top 25 as rated by PFF last season. Over the last three seasons, Des has been the most sensitive wide receiver to top cornerback talent. You might be best off fading Des this year and trying to buy low after that or heading into that week five matchup. Those are some really, really tough corners. And now let's also put in the fact that the Cowboys will not have Ezekiel Elliott for those games. So those, uh, those heavy boxes that Ezekiel Elliott created, those won't be there as well. So there will be more help over the top for Dez. So he will be less likely to get open on those deep plays. When you combine all of these things together... Although Dez is a top talent at wide receiver, he should be about like the sixth most talented wide receiver in the league. That's why I have him all the way down at 19. And I'm sorry, PK, but I just see this as a year to fade Dez overall. Moving on to number 20, which is Larry Fitzgerald. Since Bruce Arians moves Fitz into the slot, he's looked like he's 24 years old again. He has two 100 catch season and has excelled in advanced statistics. Larry Fitz has led the league with 26 start-worthy games, that being wide receiver 36 or better, which is good for 81% of the last two seasons. That is the best in the NFL over the last three years. Number 21 is Allen Robinson of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Allen Robinson is a great talent but he has to play another season with Blake Bortles. There were only nine players who yielded a lower target rating than Robinson, and no Jaguar wide receiver was above 78. Allen Robinson also got a whopping 72% of his fantasy points while the team was trailing over the last three seasons. If we expect Leonard Fournette and their improved defense to have an impact on the team in the NFL, this will also have a negative impact on Allen Robinson in fantasy. Those 72% of his fantasy points when trailing will be greatly diminished, and they're going to be just pounding the rock this year. So Allen Robinson, he is a great target in Dynasty, but... You might be looking at that two or three years out, not necessarily in 2017. So, Allen Robinson is a fade at his current draft price. Number 22 is Golden Tate. Golden Tate is able to produce in fantasy despite having 33 wide receivers having a higher target share in their respective teams. Tate will remain a consistent wide receiver option at his value due to his ability to create yards after the catch which he led the NFL with 676 in 2016, including an increase of 0.8 yards after the catch per target from his number in 2016. You combine this with the slow start that Tate got off to in 2016, if he comes off to a quicker start, 
he could be in line for a very, very big season. Let's move on to number 23 and try to speed this show up a little bit. 23 is Pierre Garçon, and although he's likely to, he's not likely to recreate his 184 or 181 target season that he had with Shanahan with Ann Hoyer in 2015, he still has the fifth highest air yards per attempt in 2016. Or sorry, Hoyer had the fifth highest air yards per attempt. Although Garson is no longer a top-end deep speed threat, he had the 14th most air yards in 2016. So you combine those together, and Pierre Garcon should be in line to get a lot on those, should have high massive targets, and he should be able to get a lot out of them. And now let's go to 24, Tyreek Hill. Based on a Scott Barrett figure that he created this season called Actual Opportunity, which measures the expected fantasy points based on field position, among many other variables that you should go check out at PFF. It's a great article by Scott. Hill was expected to score, based on this actual opportunity, 157 PPR points. Instead, he scored 219. You combine this with defenses having a whole year of tape, and adjusting to stop him as the wide receiver one rather than Jeremy Macklin. These super efficient stats are not sticky in a year-over-year basis, and to me, this screams regression for Tyreek. Although he's a freak athlete, he could be in, in line for some serious regression. This brings us to our tier number six, which is composed of wide receivers 25, through 30. 25 is Brandon Cooks, the new New England Patriot. Number 26 is Emmanuel Sanders. 27, J-Mo Crowder. 28, Stephon Diggs. 29 is Devontae Adams. And 30 is Dante Moncrief. Brandon Cooks, let's, let's look at him. The last time Tom Brady played with a first-round wide receiver, They hooked up for 98 catches, about 1,500 yards, and 23 touchdowns. Yeah, I'm talking about Randy Moss. Though this is not necessarily repeatable because Randy Moss is debatably the best wide receiver ever. This was with a younger Tom Brady, and there were significantly less mouths to feed in that offense. Cooks had the 7th highest week-to-week volatility among wide receivers, And although I see him having some really big games, especially highlighted by some of these one-handed catches coming out of uh, preseason practices, he will have a high volatility. There will be some big duds in there. I think he's a great option for best ball leagues, but when it comes to projecting him week to week in a, a full season of fantasy, he might be better off. You might be better off going with some other options. Number 26 is Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel tanked. Sorry, that's a typo. Emmanuel ranked 20th in total points among wide receivers, yet he was 55th in consistency. Despite matching Larry Fitzgerald's number of top 36 weeks over the last three years, Emmanuel Sanders has been swinging the opposite direction, trending down. I believe... This trend will continue, but this is a little bit based on who wins that starting job over in Denver. 
If Paxton Lynch wins the starting job, he has a better deep ball, so this favors Emmanuel. But all signs point to Trevor Simeon starting, which really favors Demarius Thomas over Emmanuel. Number 27 is Jameson Crowder. He finished as wide receiver 29 in Pyromaniac's end-of-season tiers, and he did so while having only the 64th largest target share, and he was only 32nd in the red zone. Crowder was extremely efficient in the red zone last year, and we don't really see those as re, uh, reproducible stats as they brought in Terrell Pryor and jo- Josh Doxson, who should be healthy this year. Although, in between the 20s, from the, from the year 20 to the opponent's 20, he should be their number one option. He had a five-week stretch last year, from week 6 to week 13, where he was a top 30 receiver, Every single week. But we saw in the fantasy playoffs, his best finish was wide receiver 65. So with those risks baked in, Stephon, or Jameson Crowder comes in at my number 27. Number 28, as I missaid, Stephon Diggs. Diggs received 35% or more of the team's target share on four separate occasions. And 25 on three more. So that's seven occasions with 25% or higher. On this varying volume, Diggs produced the fifth-best catch rate at 75% and an outstanding catch rate in the red zone at 91.7. We are still waiting on Diggs to put together that full season of strong, consistent weeks, but I really like Diggs, who finished as wide receiver 9 or better against or in every game against his NFC North rivals. This seems to be a stat that he could recreate against those similar defenses, and I really like Diggs heading into 2017. Now, number 29 is Devontae Adams. After Devontae Adams failed to finish in the top 100 fantasy points per target without Jordy Nelson in 2015, that figure skyrocketed to number 10 in 2016. On only 20% of the team's red zone targets, Adam grabbed the fourth most catches in the red zone in the second most touchdowns overall among wide receivers. This is more of a reflection of Aaron Rodgers than Adams, and I think he'll see some regression. As I'll get to later, Randall Cobb, I think he's on the upswing, and Devontae Adams is on the downswing. And now number 30, Dante Moncrief. As you guys know, our own stag party despises Dante Moncrief, but I'm a little higher on him. Moncrief has significantly underwhelmed, averaging only three catches, 38 yards, and .4 touchdowns per game across his career. But this is a contract year for Moncrief, and Luck has shown an affinity to targeting his wide receivers when they head into a contract year. This was headlined by T.Y. Hilton's 82-catch, 1,345-yard and 7-touchdown season in his 2014 contract year. If Andrew Luck is healthy, he always loves to get Moncrief targets in the red zone. I think he could have a high touchdown season, upwards of 12 to 15 this year. But the yards, they will, they will never be there. So Moncrief is a high touchdown guy, but he might be more of a, a pick-and-play starter than an every week starter. This brings us into tier number seven, where we go through running backs 31 to 35. 
The kitten did just jump onto the desk, so if she starts rustling around with the mic or causing any noise, I'm going to have to stop, so just a, just a heads up. But let's start with number 31, Alshon Jeffrey. It is my personal goal to drive Alshon Jeffrey's ADP down significantly. Although the Jordan Matthews to Buffalo trade did bring him up a little bit in my rankings because there are slightly less mouths to feed there, he's still sitting pretty low at 31. Alshon Jeffrey is the most likely player to not return value on his ADP, in my opinion. Doug Peterson, the head coach of the Eagles, has only had one wide receiver to surpass the 1,000-yard mark, and that was Jeremy Macklin in 2015 in Kansas City. With that being said, three of Peterson's top five catch volume players in his offense have been non-wide receivers over the last five years. This was highlighted by a 19-game stretch over 2013 and 2014, where not a single wide receiver scored a touchdown receiving in Kansas City. I think this could continue in Philadelphia, along with Alshon Jeffrey's soft tissue issues that seem to plague him every single season. That touchdown upside may not be there, and that catch upside may not be there. So I am completely fading Alshon Jeffrey this year. I do not expect to own him on a single team. Number 32 is Tyrell Williams, our own Waz's guy. If you remove the two games last season against the Broncos, Tyrell would have been the 13th ranked wide receiver on a points per game basis. The biggest question mark is who will work out of the slot in San Diego, or sorry, in LA. Tyrell was in the slot 23.3% of the time last year, but Keenan Allen is returning, and he plays a lot in the slot. All right, I apologize if anyone heard any, uh, any rufflings on my side. We had a, a kitten attack, but now we're back. We're, we're, we're good. It's just a kitten. Number 33 is Julian Edelman. When looking at Edelman's efficiency rating, his 76 rated yards per target, 65th rated contested catch rate, and 9th highest drops per game, one would think that Edelman would be significantly impacted by seeing a lower volume due to the addition of Brandon Cooks. However, when we look at his 2015 season, when Edelman had the 21st target share versus number 2 in 2016, he was significantly more efficient. He's one of those guys that Tom Brady just always looks to when he's in trouble. And despite the addition and despite potentially being the number three option in that offense, being the number three option in the New England Patriots offense is still pretty freaking good for fantasy. So Julian Edelman, although dropping a little bit, he still has a pretty high upside. And as we know, Rob Gronkowski is one of the few players in the league that we can call injury prone. And with Brandon Cook's weekly volatility, Julian Edelman is still an awesome option in fantasy. Number 34 is Kelvin Benjamin. And I just want to start off by saying, in his preseason game, those two catches, Benjamin looked like this new offense won't really impact him that much. That said, it wasn't with Cam Newton, so we can't buy that much into it. And it was preseason, so we can't buy that much into it. But let's let's move on. Benjamin 
impressed in his initial preseason game, looking like his Florida, Florida State self on a back shoulder touchdown haul. I'm still pretty wary of Benjamin being left out due to the change in scheme, but Cam may be stuck in his old ways. With Ron Rivera implementing the team's desire to reduce the number of hits on Cam, they will be calling for more three-step drop plays to get the ball out quickly. This will cause the Panthers to utilize their running backs in the flat and tight end over the middle at a much higher rate. Kelvin's 12.3 ADOT from last year will most certainly be coming down with McCaffrey and Samuel joining the team as high draft capital dual threat players. Benjamin's targets are more likely to see another drop as well, but I don't think it'll be as drastic as the decrease he saw from his rookie campaign to technically his third year, but really his second year, which decreased by two targets per game. I'm going to consider moving Kelvin up a little bit as he's shown that he can provide that wide receiver two value, but this will be saved for a later date. Kelvin still sits in at number 34 right now. And number 35, finishing up this tier number seven, is Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed's 184 PPR points per game was the third most for a team's wide receiver three in the past decade. With the departure of Brandon Cooks, we expect Seed to see more targets. I think I call him Seed. Sneed to see more targets and a better overall production, right? Well, I'm not so sure about that. As Sneed enters his peak athleticism age at 25, his measurables fail to reach the 25th percentile in any category. So that's saying Willie Sneed is a bottom quarter athlete in every measure. The team just added Ted Ginn Jr., and he's showing on their depth chart as the starter. So this, I'm really causing for concern with Willie Sneed. I'm probably going to move him a little lower, but right now he still sits at 35 because anybody in that Saints offense has pretty high production ratings. Now let's move on to the final tier that I'll be covering today, which is tier number eight. Or at least I believe it's the last tier. Let's see. Um, These are wide receivers 36 to 44. And it starts off with Brandon Marshall, number 37, Corey Davis, number 38, and one of my personal favorites, Cole Beasley. Number 39 is Cameron Meredith. Number 40 is John Brown. Number 41 is Jeremy Jeremy Macklin. Sorry. Number 42, Jordan Matthews who I believe I also moved due to the trade, but let's, let's set, him, set him in at 42 for now. Number 43 is Richard Matthews. And number 44 is Mike Wallace. Jumping back to number 36 at Brandon Marshall. And I, I know the stat that I'm going to put out there is a little subjective, and it, it's not really reflective of what he's going to do this year, but I, I still like to bring it up. When changing teams, as Marshall did this offseason, Brandon averages 104 catches on 170 targets for 1,300-plus yards and nine touchdowns. Yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. While these numbers are an impossibility for the 33-year-old wide receiver, especially playing alongside the budding superstar in Odell Beckham Jr., it is very likely that Marshall could duplicate that type of efficiency just on a much smaller volume. So that being said, he will not, every time he changed seasons, he was the wide receiver one. 
Right now, he's coming in as the wide receiver two, most likely, and could be beat out by Sterling Shepard. So he could be the third option there. Let's expect Marshall to be that red zone threat, but not really have that, that yardage total that we typically expect from Brandon Marshall. Moving on, number 37 is Corey Davis, the rookie. Corey Davis was the most prolific wide receiver in the history of the FBS. He had 5,285 yards. He finished in the top 10 in receiving yards per route run each of the past three seasons. Davis is in the 95th percentile as a phenom as he experienced his breakout at the age of 18, which is something we really like to see for wide receivers. This is a metric that I got from player profile, which is Matt Kelly's figure. I'll, I'll go on to talk about that as one of my draft resources, but right now we're just throwing some credit at Matt Kelly. Um, so he only had, talking about Corey Davis now again, not Matt Kelly, he only had one fumble in his 266 catches over the past three years. Going into that Titans offense, there are a lot of mouths to feed, and they are a run-first offense, so that's why I have him down at 37. But... Corey Davis is the number one rookie dynasty pick this year. I think I'll be moving him up a touch, but give me, give me a week or so to figure that out. Now looking at Cole Beasley. This is an excerpt from my three league winners piece, so let me go ahead and read that to you. Cole Beasley looks like he belongs in the Shire rather than an 8 80,000 seat entertainment mecca that we know as Jerry's World. Beasley's 2016 had us craving the Beasles like they were the precious. In this season, however, he doesn't come crashing down in the Ogeron. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I might not be. Okay, now that I got that nerdgasm out of my system, Beasley was one of the most efficient weapons in the NFL last year. His DR, or Defensive Adjusted Yards Above Replacement, and Defensive Adjusted Value Over Average ranked him, respectively, the fifth among wide receivers. Yes, that's higher than the likes of Mike Evans and Antonio Brown. He yielded a 122.8 passer rating when targeted, another metric that was within the top five, and Beasley saw 92 targets last season, a career high. Only 77 of those targets were deemed as catchable, and Beasley hauled in an extraordinarily high rate at 97.4 of those catchable targets. Wow. Only four wide receivers saw more targets and caught more of them at a higher rate, so they saw more than those 77 catchable targets and caught them at a better rate. With Des Bryant expected to go through a gauntlet of top 25 cornerbacks this season, Beasley could be in line for a monster year. Please take a second to refer to Scott Barrett's wide receivers most impacted by top 25 cornerbacks as we went over earlier with Des Bryant. So as to not repeat that as I went over all that with Des before, let's skip ahead a little bit. Um, Dallas's other pass catchers are Terrence Williams, Bryce Butler, and Jason Witten. Terrence Williams has been quite underwhelming in his career, with only 
one season over 800 yards coming in 2015 when Dez missed a good portion of that season dealing with his Liz Frank injury. And he had multiple surgeries after that, which kept, Bryce, or kept Terrence Williams relevant. Now, Bryce Butler, he has shown some flashes, like those two deep passes he hauled in in the Hall of Fame game. But Butler, on the other hand, hasn't put together a season with over 400 receiving yards since high school. Yeah, high school. That's not a typo. Jason Witten, on the other hand, has been the model of a true professional throughout his career and is a surefire Hall of Famer when he hangs up the cleats. Witten is 35 years old, though, and has seen his production decrease each year since 2012. Though I like Witten this year, it's hard to see him going over around, say, 700 yards. Oh, yeah. Dak has never thrown an interception while targeting Cole Beasley. Take that for data, and take Cole Beasley at his highest ADP, which currently is wide receiver 65. (sighs) Let's move on now after that. Uh, Number 39 is Cameron Meredith. And Meredith showed that he is a true wide receiver threat as he posted the second-highest catch rate on deep balls last year, which was at 70%. Meredith separated himself from the other Bears pass catchers, including Alshon Jeffrey, who's no longer on the team, by posting the ninth-best target premium among wide receivers. So that, that measures the production when targeting Cameron Meredith versus targeting all of the other pass catchers in that offense. This means Meredith yielded 17.9% more fantasy points per target than the other Bear counterparts. He should be the best option coming out of that Bear's pass-catching attack. Let's move on to number 40. Fortunately for our number 40, John Brown was diagnosed with a sickle cell trait in 2016, which the fortunate part is... The Cardinals believe that they have it under caps. So they think they can deal with the sickle cell. And that showed, as we saw a David Johnson quote, where he said, it's great to see smoke out there. He can really finish his routes, finish his long runs. And he's sprinting back to the line of scrimmage. He's not huffing and puffing at the end of those routes and having trouble catching his breath. With Larry Fitz entering his age 34 season, the Cardinals will likely have to pass the torch. With his sickle cell trait reportedly being properly managed now, John is first in line to catch to receive that torch, and I see him having a similar season to his rookie year where he surpassed the 1,000-yard mark. Moving on, number 41 is Jeremy Macklin. Jeremy Macklin will most certainly lead the league in crab cakes this season. Macklin should be coming back healthy this year after dealing with injury all of last year, and he's coming at a great value. A little-known Jeremy Macklin fact is that he leads the league in touchdown rate on targets within 10 yards of the line at 53%. He's done that on 15 out of his 28 options. We don't really see Macklin as that red zone target, but he's shown that he can do it consistently. Number 42 is Jordan Matthews. From 2014 through 2016, Jordan Matthews has the highest difference in high wide receiver rate versus the expected passer. 
at 19.4. This means that targeting Matthews has caused the most favorable difference in passing rate among Eagles. As we know, Matthews is now a Buffalo Bill. In playing with Tyrod Taylor, we, we wonder who will be playing the slot. If you want more information, I put out in episode number five, I looked into the impact of the Zeke suspension, Sammy Watkins leaving for LA, and Jordan Matthews going to Buffalo. For a more up-to-date version of my outlook, please refer to that. And let's move along to Richard Matthews, who is the number 43 wide receiver. It's not often for a wide receiver who puts up 945 yards and nine touchdowns to go as the wide receiver 60 in the following year. Matthews was the 14th rated wide receiver in the NFL in defensive adjusted yards above replacement and 16th in defensive adjusted value over average. Matthews dropped only one of his 66 catchable targets, which yielded the fourth best drop rate among wide receivers. With Corey Davis and Eric Decker coming into that offense, Richard Matthews should see a significant decrease in volume, but I believe he is still the best deep threat on that team. And he caught eight of his nine catches, of his nine touchdowns, on only 10 passes that were over 20 yards. That is an incredible rate, and it implies that Richard Matthews could still be efficient on those deep targets with a lesser volume. Let's finish up this tier, and this is the final tier that we will go over today. Number 44 is Mike Wallace. If we remove Mike Wallace's rookie season, when he is not playing with a quarterback who has perceived top end arm strength. So among the top seven based on an NFL.com article. So we're talking about the worser arm strengths now, just to be clear. With those worser, so not in that top seven, Wallace averages 109 targets for about 60 catches, 755 yards, and five and a half touchdowns. When he is playing with one of those players, was one of those quarterbacks with the top arm strength, so in that top seven, Wallace averages 104 targets, so five less, but 61 catches, a couple more, and he's been significantly more efficient with those targets. He averages 100, or sorry, 1,000, slightly over 1,000 yards and 7.2 touchdowns. That's good for about... 250 yards and maybe two touchdowns more on the same exact volume. I like Mike Wallace this year. It'll be a second year in the system. And you guys heard it there. We had another attack of the kitten. Uh, So I'm just going to leave that on the podcast, honestly. But yeah, Mike Wallace playing with a top-end talent, Joe Flacco. He should be in line for a good season. And I just want to go over some honorable mentions that I have a little further down my tiers. Again, if you want to check out these tiers, just head over to pyromaniac.com. And I have multiple posts that I put on my Twitter, which is at pyro underscore heartbeat. That's at P-Y-R-O underscore H-A-R-T-B-E-A-T. 
So I have two honorable mentions that I want to bring up for this podcast, and I know we're running a little bit longer going into these wide receivers that I would like, so I'm sorry, but we won't have the, uh, the same clips in this episode because I want to keep it as concise as possible. Number 45, I noted him before, is Devontae Parker. Over the last seven games of 2016, Parker saw 23 less targets than Jarvis Landry, but he still managed to amass 14 more yards, three more touchdowns, and finished just 1.6 PPR points behind Landry over that span. With teams historically showing dramatic increases in their second year in an offense, I expect Parker to be a shoe-in for a dominant wide receiver role, but it's on him to fend off Kenny Stills for that starting position. And lastly, Randall Cobb. I spoke before about Devontae Adams on the downswing and Cobb on the upswing, and here's what I was referring to. If you extrapolate Cobb's seven weeks prior to his hamstring injury last year, he would have projected out to 146 targets for 104 catches. He would have had 1,034 yards and five touchdowns. Randall Cobb was among the most efficient wide receivers in the league as he caught 100% of his targets that were deemed catchable. And that was across the entire season, not just that first seven-week stretch. I hope you guys enjoyed this wide receiver breakdown. Again, the Pyro Heavy podcast went over tight ends. Check that out. This episode should be released today, which is the Sunday. I think it'll be around 9 o'clock after editing. And I will also be releasing the Draft Primer initial episode a little bit later tonight. So stay tuned. It's almost draft season. Let's get ready to make some money this year, guys and girls. Guys and girls. Nicely, it is too bad that a smart businessman like Nathan has to go and fall in love with his own fiance. Benny, that is his weakness, and we should be tolerant because I am told it is a worldwide weakness. Look! What's playing at the Roxy? I'll tell you what's playing at the Roxy. A picture about a Minnesota man so in love with a Mississippi girl that he sacrifices everything and moves all the way to Biloxi. That's what's playing at the Roxy. What's in the Daily News? I'll tell you what's in the Daily News. Story about a guy who bought his wife a small ruby with what otherwise would have been his union dues. That's what's in the Daily News. What's happening all over? I'll tell you what's happening all over. Guy sitting home by a television set who once used to be something of a rover. That's what's happening all over. Love is the thing that has licked him. And it looks like Nathan's just another victim. Yes, sir, when you see a guy reach for stars in the sky, you can bet that he's doing it for some time. When you spot a John waiting out in the rain, chances are he's insane as only a John can be for a Jane. When you meet a gent paying all kinds of rent for a flat that could flatten a Taj Mahal. Call it sad, call it funny, but it's better than even money. That black guy's only doing it for some dollars. When you see a Joe saving half of his dough, you can bet they'll be making it for some dollars. 
when a bum buys wine like a bum can't afford, it's a cinch that the bum is under the thumb of some little broad. When you meet a mug, lately out of the jug, and he's still lifting platinum folly call it hell, call it heaven, it's probable 12 to 7, that the guy's only doing it for some doubt. And his cash has run short Make a bet that he's banking it with some doll When a guy wears tails with the front gleaming white Who the hell do you think he's tickling pink on Saturday night? When a lazy slob takes a good steady job And he smells from Vitalis and Barbasol Call it dumb, call it clever Ah, but you can get odds forever That's that guy only doing it for the 